Welcome to another episode of 353rd. I am Scott Barstow. And I'm Anders Brownworth. Anders, it's a beautiful Thursday afternoon here in Raleigh. The temperature is down. The hurricane is through. How are you today? Isn't it amazing? I'm doing well. It's it's. Uh, we were last episode, we talked a lot about this hurricane and what it's all going to mean. And, you know, I don't want to say it was a total dud, but uh, from where I sit, it was. I know there are a lot of people without power, a lot of uh, flooding going on and, and sort of post effects, but my word, it was really, really not very significant for, for me. How about you? Yeah, it was really, it was much ado about nothing here. The power blipped uh, probably three or four times, yeah. um, and there was there was a lot of rain. It rained pretty steady all day. The wind blew a bit. Where there was, we had a bunch of limbs down and things like that. But it was it was really much ado about nothing. Yeah. My, my, uh, my power never blipped. I sat here in, you know, in my place the whole day, basically going out every couple hours to just walk around in it. And yeah. it was really, I mean, it was fun, but you yeah, know. I took my, I took my kids out probably, this was probably about four or five in the afternoon. We went out and you know, there's water everywhere. So we went around, we went out and had uh, mud puddle fights. Nice. So, well done. Yeah. So that was a good time. <laughs> Good. And uh, and uh, lest we forget, uh, I think we need to keep reminding people that the end of the world is still scheduled for July 12, 2014. Got it on my Google calendar, ready to go. <laughs> I should do like a countdown or something, you know? Yeah, I feel like I need a site with a countdown on yeah, it. Yeah, we definitely do. Let's get that done. Maybe, maybe I need to wear some uh, some purple Nikes or something. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, so, so the power didn't go out for me, but I uh, I lost a hard drive in my... Linux raid at my my place here and and you know it's just devastating every time this happens and it just went down in a nasty way and took the machine down so I could have had a really bad day but this morning I'm feeling pretty good I was feeling pretty good because I dropped in a new disk and and uh, been rebuilding the raid all day and so as as that nears completion my mood elevates I just love it you know that's all raid I'm telling you. I mean, you, yeah. you're gonna—it's gonna be hard to make me shut up about things like this. But, but software raid on Linux is just uber cool, and it's just yeah, something it's, nobody it's amazing. sees. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's just amazing. Speaking of speaking of hardware problems, as you may or may not know, last week I flew to Dallas. Yeah, and uh, in the I was in the Atlanta airport on my way to Dallas, and went into the bathroom, hung my. Uh, my bag on the hook in the bathroom, oh, the hook. and and about seven <laughs> seconds later, yeah, it's it proceeded not to fall off the hook <sighs> and crash to the ground with my uh, with my pride and joy, my map, uh, my Apple MacBook Pro 15 inch notebook uh, oh, smashed oh. to the ground. No way! And so. Uh, luckily everything, you know, I immediately, of course, uh, went into panic mode, pulled the machine out, yeah. uh, everything worked. I checked all the ports and everything was, everything was good to go. But sad to say, I now have a sizable dent oh. in the left side of my, so it dented the, uh, just a bit of the, the screen where the screen flips up on the left side. And then I've got a bubble uh, on oh. my machine, right above where all of the USB ports and all of that stuff are. So you, you, so clear a couple of things up here: solid state or, or, or spinning hard disk. Spinning hard disk. Okay, and you didn't lose that. That's amazing. 
No, nope. that's amazing. Yeah, I was, and now that now I will tell you, my bag has padding in the bottom, but still, okay. I mean, it dropped from probably I'd say the bottom of the bag was a minimum of four feet off the ground. Yeah, it's see, not five. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. So so so, but this is not a unibody Mac. This is the 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 generation prior, right? The one where it can actually split apart. The top, you know, kind of keyboard area can split away from the bottom. No, this is the unibody. You have a unibody. And then, yeah. and wow, dude, that's, I, uh, ouch. Yeah, it was painful. <laughs> yeah. And, and the funny thing was, I didn't even notice that I was so freaked out about the fact that it dropped and, you know, panicking about that. And so everything worked. And I was like, oh, no, no, you know, no problems. So I get on the plane. Yeah. And I, I'm, and I open up, you know, you get to 10,000 feet and I flip my, flip my machine open and I'm sitting there pecking away. Still haven't noticed it. Really? And the flight attendant, a flight attendant comes by my seat and says, oh, I'm sorry about the dent. Yeah. And I said, what dent? And he points at it and I just wanted to start crying. Yeah. Because as you know, this machine, if, if a machine could be my baby, this machine would be my baby. (laughs) Don't admit that. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just passionate about it. Got it. And, and it was, it was just. Oh, it was gut wrenching. But yeah. the good news is, of course, that as you said, I didn't lose. You know, the hard drive didn't stop stop working, and all the ports still work. And so it's just a cosmetic thing. But I got to tell you, every time I open it up, every day I'm like, oh, yeah. why do I have to have a dent? Oh, that's rough. That's so. that's, that's a uh, you know a three thousand dollar fix basically. Yep, you have to yeah. get a new machine. I don't, you know. Yeah, and the other thing is, I so I contemplated, of course, as any. Selling it on eBay? No, any <laughs> you know idiot would do. I contemplated trying to bend it back. Oh, dude, and, no! And uh, so I start pushing on it, right? Uh. And I'm just like, okay, this really doesn't make any sense because I don't want to, you know, you don't want to take the chance of okay, it survives this fall, which yeah. it probably shouldn't have done. Yeah. And by and me bending it back, screen. I crack some board yeah. in there somewhere oh. or something. So yeah. Anyway. Painful Ouch. stuff. Oh, that, that, in, that hurts. In, in the grand scheme of things, of course, it doesn't matter at all. But um. True. Yeah, so we, 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 we've both lost some piece of hardware, but uh, that, that just absolutely – that hurts. That hurts worse than losing a drive in a raid. Yeah, day. I feel, like, I feel <laughs> like my consolation will be the new iPhone 5. Wow. iPhone 5, so uh, lost in a bar already. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. So anyway, uh, today we wanted to talk about there's there, we were going to talk about a few things, but I think some uh, we found out this past week about this uh, outfit called the Matternet. Yes. And uh, as uh, for those of you that listen to us regularly, you'll know that Anders and I started a uh, a company uh, this past year called Drone OS, and the idea behind Drone OS was that. Drones are going to drones and unmanned aerial vehicles and uh, all of those kinds of uh, machines are slowly or I guess quickly making their way into everyday life. And so we had this idea that um, it would be cool to have kind of this control system that would allow us to track and follow and allow users to have some fun with their with their drones. And so I, I tend to pay attention to what's going on in that world. And uh, lo and behold, in my Google Reader this past week, I found out about this company called The Matternet, who's doing some really compelling stuff in Africa. Their website is uh, matternet.net. And they are actually using unmanned aerial vehicles and ground stations 
to deliver AIDS medicine in Africa. So it just feels like these guys are, you know, because in Africa you don't have all of the, you know, they don't have any roads. So, you know, flying stuff is obviously a better way to go. And they don't have to worry about all of the FAA and all of that sort of thing. So what's your, what are your thoughts about Matternet? So, of course, this would never work in the U.S., uh, you know, to, to light this up you know, overnight in the United States because of, you know, restrictions on, on UAVs. But what a way for a developing nation to basically, you know, skip past the United States in terms of research and development. I mean, this is, this is a fantastic opportunity. I, you and I have talked quite a bit about this, but I'm, I'm quite sure that this is the future of FedEx. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. Why put a guy in the cockpit and have him fly a tremendous plane to uh, centralized points if you could put a package on a tiny little cheap UAV that flies it point to point to a very specific place uh, in a much lower amount of time overall? Yeah. yeah so, so, yeah, these guys in the Matternet did this uh, case study in Lesotho where apparently it takes. Uh, it takes uh, these outlying villagers up at least four hours to walk to a populated area. Yeah. And, uh, and furthermore, the roads are closed for up to four months a year because of rain. And so with, uh, with this network that the Matternet has built, they're able to uh, use what is essentially the, the, the craft looks a lot like the, uh, the para-AR drone that you, can, that you can buy. It's this quadcopter thing, and they just strap the medicine to it, and they've got ground stations uh, that serve as waypoints for this thing to get where it needs to go. So the question is, if, if, uh, if rain is, is basically blocking them, uh, blocking traditional movement of medicine, are these things any more resilient than a human walking through a rainstorm? I mean... You know, in the sense that that you can avoid mudslides with the UAV, uh, yeah. But uh, right. you know, in yeah, general, but rain. I gotta believe it's if there if there's a big rainstorm, these things are gonna have problems flying. Yeah, right. So, but I mean, you know, obviously, other types of uh, delivery systems would probably be able to overcome that. Yep. I mean, even if it's a, a blimp or something. Yep. Um, exactly. Or a balloon, you know, any kind of lighter than airship, it would you'd be able to kind of fly over it at at worst case. Um, yeah. But no, I'm, I'm extremely excited about this. I think this is definitely, you know, one to watch and, um, you know, be really interesting in an area with so little infrastructure, existing infrastructure, uh, to see how, how this system can basically be put across a landscape that doesn't have a reliable network and be able to function effectively. I think this is the the hardest litmus test right there. I mean, if you have, yeah. you know, if you were to do this in, you know, between New York and Boston, let's say, uh, you pretty much have 3G cell coverage between the cities, no problem. So you don't have to worry about this. And out in the middle of, you know, nowhere in uh, Lesotho somewhere, you've got, uh, you've got to bring electricity, you have to bring networks, you have to bring it all. Yeah. So in some sense, they're they're doing like, doing this the hard way, but maybe it's the only way that can be done. Yeah. And I, yeah, they're essentially solving big infrastructure problems, right? Well, at are, least yeah. in terms of communication infrastructure, they're having yeah. to solve that as they go. I did a thing in, in Haiti, I uh, went down to Haiti to install a email system for a hospital and you know, no big deal. Little email system. You use the satellite to get to the internet. 
but it was very shocking in the sense that, okay, what do you need to do? Well, we're going to need power, so we're going to need a generator, so we're going to need some fuel, so we're going to need a backup generator with batteries, we're going to have to transfer switch, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff before you can even say email. Yeah. You know, the just uh, most of the project, you know, the overwhelming majority of the project was infrastructure to get the very simple thing done that you're trying to do. And then what they're trying to do, move, you know, medicines around with, with UAVs, that's not a simple problem. <laughs> No, so definitely this not. This is a big job, but I would love the greenfield opportunity to be, um, you know, out where there is no regulation and be able to, uh, you know, try to put together a network that would. It just sounds like a hoot. I love it. Yeah, you know? and I love the, uh, you know, their their mission statement says uh, it's much bigger than obviously just solving a technology problem. Obviously, their mission statement that says that they will alleviate, alleviate poverty. Accelerate economic growth for the rising billion through a roadless transportation network. Yeah, that's fantastic, and yeah. and you know they will, and if not them, somebody will. Yeah, the the writing is on the wall as far as I'm concerned. This is just a matter of time. Yeah, and this kind of dovetails with the story that we talked about in one of our episodes or somewhere about the fact that there's this airport in Wales that is going to be an all UAV airport. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it seems like this stuff is happening a bit faster than even you and I thought it would. And I think, quite frankly, a lot faster, at least outside of the U.S., than, you know, so-called experts probably thought it would. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, even in the United States, there is, there is tentative legislation, you know, around getting UAV, uh, you know, one UAV airport to another UAV airport type of corridor set up. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, so we I, talked about that that uh, eighty mile thing in uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, it's coming a lot faster than than uh, than I would have ever thought, even here as well. So yeah, but I think. Yeah. What, I mean, do you think it's? Uh, I think inside of ten years, we've got we've got UAV airports. I think easy. I think that's easy. I think inside of uh, you know certainly inside of five years, I would put it more like three or four that we would see. 10 or more UAV ports in the uh, U.S. Hmm. That would be my guess. That's compelling. All right. So you wanted to, the second thing we want to talk about today is I think you and I both do a lot of reading. And uh, and I do a lot of – my reading is kind of all over the place and yours probably is as well. But one yeah, of the no things exception. that – Yeah, one of the things that, that, I like to, that I like to think about is – you know, I, I read. I tend to read a lot of not how-to books, but I've read a fair number of. You know, this is how to do this kind of business, or this is how to do that kind of business, and here's how to manage your work and all those kind of things. And what I thought would be interesting is to for us to talk about the books that in that genre that are have been most influential and why. So, what did what you uh, what you come up with? So my book is uh, unquestionably the. Th- 37 Signals uh, Guy's book, uh, Rework. Uh-huh. Clever title, first of all. But I, I like it in the sense that it's very uh, not your normal business book. If you read the 37 Signals blog and you kind of keep up with what they're doing, there's no earth-shattering, magic, brand-new thing. But it definitely goes somewhere that that I think is very significant and it takes some – some pretty basic tacts. Um, so first of all, uh, Jason Fried and, and David Hennemeyer Hansen. David, uh, as you probably know, is the guy that did Ruby on Rails. Um, yeah. 
affectionately known as DHH. DHH, exactly. He and uh, and I think Freed was there as well. Met him at a conference in in Denmark, uh, the the reboot conference um, back in the day, and when Rails first came out, like the first sort of public release of it. And it, it was uh, it was very compelling, um, but it's been fantastic to see DHH really sort of take off from there. Interesting book, though, um, because a lot of things sort of reflect what I uh, what I believe sort of in my core. You always hear about, for example, learning is uh, you know learning from your mistakes. Embrace that, and and you know, he's saying this kind of over- overrated, <laughs> and. It's refreshing to hear somebody say that, you know. Yeah, uh, there is this school of thought that's like, you know, screw up lots of times on your way to doing the right thing, right? Yeah. And I, th- I remember reading that book, and he says, well, that's basically a bunch of bunk. Yeah. You what know? do you think? You, you, you agree? I don't know. I think there's I, – I could see I could see both sides of the argument. I think there's a uh, – you can make the case that, you know, you've, if, you, if you wander into something thinking you've got the right idea the first time – um, and, and, you know, you're unwilling to sort of say, well, you know, I didn't have it quite right. I need to tweak it and bend it and, you know, go a different direction. I think in that regard, I think he's, if that's what he meant, I think he's probably a little bit off, but I do think there's, I don't think there's any glory in, you know, screwing up a hundred times. I, I agree with him for the most part, because you don't have the, most people don't have the luxury of being able to say, oh, well, that was a bad idea. Oh, well, that was a bad idea, you know, 60 times. Yeah. You know, you get maybe one or two cracks at it, and then right. you're broke. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. you're broken, and you're 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 sort of disillusioned in a sense. I mean, it is yeah. important to know what you are and aren't good at, for example. Yeah. But that only goes so far. So I think you don't throw that all away. You don't throw. You don't totally say every every error is a or failure is is uh, you know bad. But you don't embrace every single one and look forward to a failure. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Follow your heart, not your customers. This is the Steve Jobs line. People don't know what they want. People, yeah. you know, you have to show them what they want. Um, yep. You can you can refine it by looking at your customers and doing surveys or whatever, but don't make that be the leader, or else you're just you know headed. You're you're never going to make any any revolutionary disruptive steps. You're only going to make incremental, uh, tiny little small steps. Yeah, there's a uh, there was a quote by a guy. His name is Todd Henry. He wrote this book, The Accidental Creative, and his, yeah. the tagline of his organization is "Cover bands don't change the world." <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what you're that's kind exactly. of what you're implying. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and planning is guessing. You know. Yeah. That's right. It's totally I mean, true. Totally true. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I've never seen. You know, there's I I put less and less value on this idea of a three year plan or a five year plan for your business. I just yeah. I mean, and in some, I guess when you get big enough, you actually know you're going to be around for that long. Yeah. But when you're first getting started, I think anything, looking beyond anything, I remember I was working on a, a, a pro forma set of financial statements for, for a for an opportunity that came across my bow and and uh, and they had like a three year financial plan. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you don't know what's going to happen six months from now. Three months, dude. I'm yeah. Not, you can do a one month plan. <laughs> right. You right. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you can say, okay, we're going to have this many people in our cat, you know, we're going to burn this much cash, but you don't really know where you're going to be in a year. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, it's good to know where you're going to go, but I mean, realizing, I hate to use the word pivot because it, it's way overused, but, but realizing that you're going to make a, a sort of a right hand turn and you may be totally 
out of the business that you thought you were in, you know, yep. two years ago or whatever it is, uh, is very important. You have to re- retain that flexibility, or else, you know, you're, you're just going to make something that people used to want at one point a while ago. Yeah, you know? what I thought was interesting about the the point you uh, that you made about. Uh, follow your heart, not the customer. I thought what was interesting, if you follow the Eric Reese and the Lean Startup movement, um, they put a lot of emphasis, and I think rightly so, on this idea of a customer advisory board. Yeah. And a lot of people think that what that means is that when you go in and you you meet with your customers, they're going to tell you, so you walk in with idea A, your customers say, well, I don't like idea A, I like idea B. You know, the a lot of the misconception around that whole process is that you should go then turn do your B. company to do B. Yeah. And the whole point is not that you shouldn't do A, it's that you're not talking to the right people yeah. to do A. Exactly. And so if you hit enough of the, that kind of objection, you might not have a good idea. That's certainly true. But there's also a possibility that you just don't know who the right customer is yet, and your idea is still a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I hate it when when uh, the only thing that works in people's mind is you know getting getting some data around what people do or don't like about whatever it is that you're going. Can you imagine the uh, the iPod actually you know releasing if if you took the the direction of the wind every you know ten minutes before you release the thing. Yeah, it's like it's like Henry Ford's classic quote. If I had thought about what, if I had asked people what they wanted, you know, I would have built a better horse. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, um, yeah, better horse. And 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 the thing is, like, uh, what was the industry asking for at the time of the iPod? It was, uh, you know, a, a cheaper and cheaper. You know, software was pretty much irrelevant. Um, just a question of uh, specs and stats. Yep. You know, how can I get uh, lots of songs on a on a device and and you know be able to kind of get it out the door for seventy dollars or whatever? Yeah, exactly. So you had people walking around with these little thumb drive looking things with the t- world's smallest displays. <laughs> yeah, you had no idea what the song was that it was coming up or anything like that. And were, that was the whole rest of the world was going this way, that way, and the you know the iPod lands and goes a completely different way. So I, I had this I had this device made by D Link, you know the the uh, yeah. hardware you know yeah the router dudes right exactly it was a it was an MP3 player and it had the ability to record it had a 16 meg chip in it a solid state you know flash uh-huh. chip. And uh, it had the ability to record. And, and to me, this was the greatest thing in the world. Is you know, I, I showed it to my brother. Here's a here's a you know a player that actually doesn't have any moving parts. You know, this is not a cassette. This is not a, a, a CD player or whatever. It just runs from RAM. And it was a great idea. And I, you know, we thought this was the greatest thing until about you know a couple weeks in of fighting, you know, tooth and nail against the terrible software. I mean, this thing was a piece of <laughs> junk. I mean, I think I spent, uh, you know, $150 on it or whatever it was. And it was just so kludgy and it would crash. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're playing the thing and it would crash. It would just stop playing. You look at the thing and it says init and then, it, you know, it's back to, you're like, well, what happened there? You know, I played yeah. a bad MP3 file. You know, I can't do that. Yeah. I just, just ridiculous. So, so if I look at the mindset of people, basically, uh, features were boxes to be checked versus a product that came out that you 
you know, all you had to do was, do you remember the first time you ever saw an iPod? Yeah, sure do. Yeah. It was yours. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I showed this thing to my brother and he's like, uh, you know, well, what the, what, what is this? You know, and he was teaching at the time. So, uh, he takes it into the, the school and, and he shows a couple of the kids and the kids are like, you know, well, the kids, he didn't show them. They, they're, they're like, what's that? What's that? And so he said, yeah, this is an iPod in, in, you know, a couple of years, you know, everybody will had one. They never heard of it before. And, uh, you know, he goes running with it or whatever to basically totally transformed what you thought a device like that could be just yeah. like to a, a new plane. And I would argue another device that is right in that wheelhouse is the iPhone. Yeah, um, absolutely. For the, sort of the same reasons. And you just yeah. can't, you just can't get to that by asking somebody holding a D link or Arcos or creative labs, you know, brick with yeah. a tiny screen on it, you know, cause the only thing they would have said is more megabytes for less money. And a bigger screen. And a bigger screen. That's yeah. it. You know, maybe yep. play video, uh, you know, a few years later or something. Yep. Would be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. I've gone way, way off the point. The, my last thing I'll say uh, for, for uh, my business book, Rework, is uh, Outside Money is Plan Z. I, yeah. I, this is – how come this is not common uh, sentiment? Why is know. why is Plan A always going and getting a cash infusion so you can spend it on marketing or whatever and and you know now be in hawk to a outside group? I yeah, never I d- I understood that. I don't either, and I think there's especially now it's so cheap to do things the other way and yeah. to know that it's so much better to approach somebody with money when you've proven okay, look, we've got you know. Uh, 10,000 customers now, and here's what they look like. We know that there are a million more, but we can't go after them because we don't have the money. Yeah. That's an entirely different discussion than we don't know if our idea is any good or not. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you're, you're at the mercy of you know, the guy, whatever they want to take, they take in, that, in, the, in the first equation. So Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, thought, I thought that book, I remember reading that. I've probably read it, I don't know, it's probably been a year ago now. And, yeah. and it's, I'm probably due for a reread on it uh, just because there's a lot of those little nuggets in there. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, so my, the yeah. book that I wanted to talk about was, and I think we're both big fans of this guy, is uh, Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. Yes, sir. We definitely are. What did yeah, you think? I, I love that guy. And <laughs> I'll tell you, this book, uh, I read this book in, it was probably 2007. Yeah. Uh, 2006. I don't remember when it came out, but it was somewhere in that particular, somewhere in that area. And I remember I was uh, bogged down mentally, just had no energy, um, you know, was just kind of showing up for work. And I remember reading this book, and I think a lot of people would get misled by the title. And they think, oh, well, you know, you have this dream lifestyle where, and he actually does. I mean, he's managed, <laughs> yeah. to, he's managed to pull it off, but I think, you know, he's a bit of a unique individual. But, um, but I, but what I, the things that I took away from that book were just this idea of being liberated uh, from the office. Yeah. And you and I both work remote. And uh, you work for Bandwidth.com, and I, you know, I have my own gig, but you've had your own gig before and things like that. And just the idea of being untethered from all of the crap that mm-hmm. goes on in an office and all of the energy that gets sucked out of you. And so I really, it really got me thinking about 
um, okay, what you, know, you sort of think, okay, well, you're, you come out of college and you think, well, what kind of job do I want? Mm-hmm. And this book reframed the way I thought about life, literally, to say, what kind of life do I want? Mm-hmm. And then what are the choices I need to make to make that happen? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it completely changed the way I thought about work and what I wanted to do and all of those kind of things. Um, you know, it's, I, I really start, I got out of the mindset of, okay, well, I just need to keep bashing my way up the corporate ladder and stay here and hope that it works out and hope I make a pile of money. Um, from that to realizing, okay, well, the thing that really matters is time. Yeah. And money is, uh, while nice to have, not nearly as important as time. Yep. Yeah, and, so, so it totally redirects your... Uh, you're thinking from, you know, sort of the, the vertical to the horizontal. <laughs> yep. Yeah, 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 that's really true. So what, what, have you, what have you actually taken from this? I mean, I, I think, you know, when what, you, maybe you read this when you were uh, at Semantic or, or something yeah, else. Was, yeah, you? it was before that. It was, it was really when I was at Bandwidth.com and I was kind of burned out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, had, I, was, I knew I was approaching probably the end of my tenure there. Right. And I was just, you know, I was just completely burnt. And, you so know. So what did you do, um, you know, practically? So concretely, I, um, I went in and talked to the owners of the company and just said, you know, I'd really like to try working from home. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to change my responsibilities. I'm willing to change my title, you know, whatever that means. Um, but I'd like to work on a you know, I laid out a few ideas for some projects I had had. I said, these are things that don't require me to be in the office. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll come in when I need to. I mean, it's 20 minutes away from my house. I'll come in when I need to, but I would like to just see if this will work. Mm-hmm. And so I went off and I worked on, at the time, I worked on an e-commerce site for business internet for the company. Got that stood up. It was moderately successful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so eventually we decided... You know, I decided that it was probably not, I, you know, I felt like I needed to go and do something else just to kind of break the mental, sure. whatever, whatever, yeah. this, whatever was going on. So, it, and it was really, a, a, obviously a very amicable, amicable split, but it was it just making that one decision had kind of the domino effect of, you know, three years later, I said, okay, you know, I'm ready to start my own company. And you know, I felt like I, 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 had, I knew at that point that I could work outside of, I could be independent, I could do everything I needed to do because the projects I had done for bandwidth.com while I was working from home were all mine. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really having to interact with anybody yeah. a whole lot. And so I knew I could, you know, get up every day and not sit and watch TV and, you know, and scratch my armpit or whatever. <laughs> and so and so I knew that I had by that time I knew I had the discipline to work on my own. Yeah. And it was it was a fundamental you know, it was a sea change in in the way I worked. Yeah. I would uh I would concur I'm, I we we came at it a totally different way, but I'm in a similar boat in the sense that, you know, I, I work from home uh I don't know if I would ever really want to work in an office again. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've, I've worked in all kinds of offices, uh, you know, from, from wall street to, to, you know, crazy Silicon Valley startup to, uh, kind of, you know, growing company in North Carolina type deal. Um, there, there is an inordinate amount of 
wasted time, I suppose. It's dangerous to say. I think this works for people in our situation, but may not work for uh, other people that where collaboration is a much much yes, more necessary thing. Yep. Right. Yeah, I so, agree. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't quite fit in every scenario, and certainly, uh, you know, obviously, in that you and I effectively telecommute is, uh, you know, we, we, that's an easy thing to do. So, so that's uh, you know, it's not like we have to go man the uh, you know the banana stand, uh, you know, on the boardwalk. But anyway. the uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's uh, there's people that really thrive on being in the office, and yeah, yeah and I just I worked into uh, you know just through the process of going up the ladder or whatever I at some point I figured out I was probably not one of those people just the the tedium of somebody being able to, able to wander into your office and completely disrupt your work yeah um just got to me and I'll tell you a great example of why I you know you said though I don't think I could ever go back and I was I was at a client site this morning and we were sitting in there doing some work and like three or four people walk in and say, well, we've got it booked for the Christmas committee the meeting. Planning committee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like something you'd watch on NBC. I was like, really? We're in yeah. here doing real work and you need to use this room right now for a Christmas committee meeting. Yeah. And, but you know, like I, like I said, there's people that thrive. So that was one, that was probably the biggest thing I got out of that book. I think the second mm. thing was just the, the desire or the, uh, the really the impetus to start planning to travel more. And mm-hmm. and have that be a rich part of you and know, you've both. done that yeah so we we I mean we made wholesale changes we took our kids out of private school we now homeschool mm-hmm. so this I I think the for me the central theme of this book is living the way you want to live and and not really giving a crap when anybody thinks about it yeah that's basically what he says and he gives you some concrete ideas about how you might go go about that but. Um, so we pulled our kids out of private school and started homeschooling them. Last year, we took the, them to Italy during the school year. This year, we're either going to Europe or we're planning to go to South America. We're not sure which. Oh, South America, um, man. Oh, love it. And so, so for it really was uh, – I can't uh, – I don't know that I can overstate the influence that this book had. It hit me at the right time. Yeah. And gave me, you know, it's it challenged the way I thought about work. It challenged the way I thought about just every part of my life, and really made me sort of take sit back and take a look and say, okay, ten years from now, what do I want to be doing? Yeah. You know, do I want to be keep doing? Do I want to keep, you know, getting in my car every morning and you know fighting traffic and driving to work, or do I want something completely different? Yeah. So. Well, that's Good stuff. that's uh, that's what you want out of a book—a complete sea change. Yep. <laughs> those books are are of course, unfortunately, very few and far between. But uh, yeah, that's that. You should you know shoot your story by Tim and see if he uh, posts it on his site or something because that's that's what it's all about, I guess. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Good stuff for uh, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. We will. Uh, we will. Catch you guys next week. Check us out online, 350-third.com, 353rd on Twitter as well. And uh, leave us your comments. Uh, hit, up, hit us up on iTunes. Search for 353rd. And uh, let us know what you think.